Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and this week is our first birthday. That's right. The Game Is About Glory celebrates one year of magnificent podcastery. And joining me for jelly and ice cream, musical chairs, and a goodie bag to take home are James, Ricky, and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hi, Steph. Hi, Steph. (laughs) Ah, Very good. Yes, well, (laughs) celebrations of our first year will give way to our intro question, which is actually going to go in the completely opposite direction of celebration, because I want to know the worst place that you've ever lived. James, why don't you start? So when I was about 10, my uh, my dad decided it would be a good idea to move to South Africa. And um, in between schools, I went and did a year living there in uh, sunny Johannesburg, which was um, back then mid-apartheid. Yeah, interesting place to have to live as a ten-year-old, and um, I'd say I'd say that's the pick of the bunch for me. <laughs> terrible, terrible. All right, next up, Ricky. Hi, Steph. Um, the worst place I've been really lucky. I've lived in some, some really nice places, but the worst place I lived was probably I think I was early twenties, which would be the mid nineties, and I lived in a flat with a couple of mates halfway between Brixton and the Oval, and. We lived, we lived above a quick save. That sounds good, doesn't it? Do you remember quick save back in the day? And to be honest, nothing terrible happened to me there. It was just like the location you might think is a bit iffy. We had a gate, a, a big kind of, like a gate in the stairwell that looked like something from Breaking Bad. And, um, but it was, it was all good there. I mean, I was young, so, you know, but I think we backed just out the back of us was the Stockwell Park estate, which if you know that isn't like the nicest place in the world, but, mm. but it was all good. Nothing happened. So, bad location, but okay life, so... Oh, you're a good egg, aren't you? You always find the bright side, even in the even in these uh, less than salubrious surroundings. Uh, Milo, can you claim the same? So, I think I've liked everywhere I've lived in terms of kind of towns or cities. In my 20s, I moved to Glasgow for a, for a while, and I loved the city, but the first place I lived there, I had a bed sit there, um, not for long, for yeah, a month or so, and it was pretty shit. A couple of floors down from me, there was a, a brothel, so it wasn't too nice in terms of people hanging around and what have you. And then the bedsit <laughs> itself, the the only the only heating in there was um, one of those plug-in radiators things, which, and the electric was on a meter, so it was freezing cold. And you put fifty. You put fifty. Are you p- sure this isn't an Irvine Welsh short story? <laughs> so you put fifty p in the meter, plugged in, plugged in the radiator, and I swear the hands on the dial were going around so fast it blew the hot air out of the window that was coming off the radiator. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is great. The city's great, and I had a really great time there. Just didn't <laughs> didn't like living in that in that bedsit. Well, it's going to be tough to beat living in a Glasgow bedsit above a brothel where the heating cost you 50p a shot and it was racing out the window like Usain Bolt. That's a tough one to beat. Um, I I can get close, I think. I mean, like yourselves, uh, you know, I've, I've enjoyed everywhere I've lived pretty much, but I did... I did take a room for a while. I call it a room. It was actually a pantry off the kitchen in a, in a flat. It was actually where most people would store, you know, their dry goods and their food. And I managed to wedge a mattress in there. And uh, and I, I mean, I thought it was amazing. I was like eighteen, not well, I was nineteen at the time. So it was independent living in San Francisco. I was like, wow, I'm really doing well here. And I woke up one morning. Uh, to a cloud of smoke because one of my roommates had uh, left what was in the oven to cook and it, it nearly all caught fire. I remember that very clearly. But that was, when I think about it, that was a pretty dismal um, living space looking back. But at the time, I thought it was, you know, it was emancipation, right? Mm. Young man, like doing my thing, a bit like what you're saying there, Ricky. You know, it's like, oh, oh, you know. That's what I think. I just, yeah, I think when you're that young, you're just, you know, I was just happy the night bus from central London came past and that kind of thing. You know? I mean, that's the important shit, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I have to say, Ricky, I think that we've got to give this as a tie to, to Awesome and Milo for, for, for most miserable places yeah. to live because I have to say, Awesome, what you described in a very serious way would be a, a traumatic uh, place to be at that time. Really, really poor. So, yeah. I have nothing bad to say about South Africa, but Johannesburg wouldn't be my choice of city to live in that country. No. No, and especially a lot of that time. Well, there we go. The worst places we've ever lived. 
My word, Milo, I'm going to have an image of yours. It's great. It, was, it really did sound like an Irvine Welsh story to me as you're, as you're telling it. It's great. And I mean, I wish everyone could see Milo because I just love the, I love the image of you in these situations. You've, you do find the best situations. Last week, it was a, a beach party, an all-night beach party. This week, it is living above a brothel in Glasgow. I mean, I've got to say, if, if I was to pass you in the street, you're, the, you're not someone I would vote as you know, having been in either of those scenarios, I would see you in far more, uh, far more serene surroundings, if you will. I don't know if you lads agree with me, but anyway, <laughs> enough of my waffle. Let's look back at the week that was. Hugo Loris has signed a new two-year contract at the club, taking him up to the summer of 2024 when he will be 37. Hugo was out of his contract this summer and could have been negotiating with foreign clubs about a free move in the summer if he'd wanted. But Antonio has made it very clear how highly he rates Hugo and how much he wanted him to stay. I think it's a massive signature, isn't it, lads? And Ricky, why don't you uh, why don't you comment on this? Yeah, I think it is. I think Hugo's really come back to himself in the last couple of seasons. He's he's super solid. And I've played a lot of football and the one thing we could well do without at the moment is going through a transition of a keeper because the not just the defence, but the team needs to have confidence in that. And mm. you could have made stellar progress with the outfield, what's going on on the outfield. And if you have a dodgy keeper behind you, it can undo so much of that work. And I think we've seen with, and money doesn't necessarily guarantee that, Kepper, uh, Leno, and even when De Gea turned up at Man U, he, he took a while to get the confidence of him. He was a bit of a disaster. So I think with the, the window that we might have um, Conte for, we can't do with anything like that creeping up on us next year with a new keeper and then having a big hoo-ha around, you know, having a dodgy keeper and all that kind of thing. But um, And the two years is good because we need to look for a keeper in the summer. But if we're looking for a first-team keeper, we might well have to bypass that because we just won't have the money to put towards a keeper. So we might yeah. go down the loan route again, not sure. It changes the profile of the type of keeper we're looking for, doesn't it? That's yeah. right. I mean, in an ideal world, we'd bomb Galini out this January and maybe get another loan in for the next six months. It might not yeah. work, but it's it's definitely not going to work with Galini, so it might be worth uh, rolling that dice again. But then in the summer, we, as you say, we need to like we can give it some thought. But we've got two years. We've got two years to play with. That's great. Yeah, I mean, one quick thought I wanted to throw in off the back of this was I think that, and I'm speculating here, but I think that Hugo must be impressed with the goalkeeping coach that's come in as part of Conti's team because he's certainly 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 has become far more aggressive off his line far more aggressive dominating and claiming the ball since Antonio came in and so perhaps that's all part of the magic that has convinced Hugo to stay for another couple of seasons and as we all agree very very important it is so we move on to the moment when we must sound the trumpets and hoist the flags because a trophy has found its way to us already in 2022 thanks to former cult hero Eric Lamella winning the Pushkas Award for his brilliantly cheeky Rabona against Arsenal. This means it has been voted the most beautiful goal of 2021. That's what the Pushkas Award is all about. And not only that, we became the first ever club to pick up back-to-back Pushkas awards because remember Sonny won in 2020 for dribbling the length of the field and netting against Burnley. Well done, Eric. What a Rabona it was. And just to put this all into context, uh, Lionel Messi's never won one, right? Barcelona has never had back-to-back Pushkas awards. So this is big, isn't it, James? This is massive. He's the first Argentinian to ever win the uh, Puskas Award. And to go back-to-back is just a ridiculous achievement. I'm I'm almost thinking it's never going to be done again. Um, And it was a nutmeg. So, yeah, hats off to Eric. And hats off to Tottenham Hotspur Football Club for producing the sort of magic that brings back-to-back Puskas Awards to the club. So, part of the week that was... 20 minutes max, it says in the notes. We're going to be hard-pressed to do it, but we will keep it to 20 minutes when we talk about the midweek game against Leicester. On Wednesday, we played one of our games in hand with the rearranged fixture against Leicester. It was due to take place back in December before the dreaded COVID. I just, okay, we know all this. Look, let's just say this match ended up delivering the sort of white-hot, raw, unbridled, feral joy that makes us love Tottenham Hotspur, love football, love life for the rest of the week and beyond. Uh, Look, in case you were asleep, we battered Leicester and in the process ran up the highest XG in the Premier League this season, yet headed into the 95th minute inexplicably 2-1 down. Two minutes later, 3-2. Conti's proven why he saw Bergen as a potential striker. I mean, it's so much to say. Why don't I just get right into it and say, Milo, this was the first time that we had seen a 3-5-2 since the Liverpool game. And is it a coincidence that our two best performances, uh, Liverpool and Leicester, under Conti have used this formation? Um, 
I, I think it's the formation that best suits our squad, and particularly with Sun out, I think it's um, the best we can do. I think also bringing in Winks um, really helped our defence when we're missing Dyer and Romero. So I think I suggested that after the first Chelsea League Cup game when we were talking about what what could have we have done to avoid that disaster uh, we had in that game and, and our, def- our defenders being unable to clear the line. And I think Winks certainly hurt, helps that. And during this game, he was dropping back quite a lot and, and helping with the distribution. So I think it's a really smart move. I think it's not a coincidence that this is the formation that we've had our best performances with because it allows us to get the ball forwards early and give our attackers something to chase. I think the other thing that we should probably talk about is uh, Hoybier and Skip playing you know, slightly in front of Winks and, and pressing. And one of the things that I think we did really well in this game and the three-five-two allows us to do is to press aggressively from midfield. And those turnovers high up the pitch and then launching attacks from that are really, really important and really, you know, really productive way of, um, of playing. You know, and it's something we haven't really seen since uh, the early Poch years. You know, peak Poch is um, pressing that hard from, from midfield and looking for those turnovers. So, yeah, it's good. James, uh, let's look at Harry Kane here. I mean, you know, do you think that that uh, 97 minutes has answered his critics? Do you think he went a long way to restating the Harry Kane that we know? It was an excellent, you know, 96 minutes from Kane. Um, his goal might be sort of like almost forgotten about given what Bergwin did at the end, but his goal was very well taken. His assist for the winner was pinpoint and yeah just throughout the game he was particularly high standard of uh passing and um it was good that was like seeing the cane of old to be honest yeah and ricky uh you know let's look at the substitutions in this victory uh and i'm going to ask you to get into that I'll, I'll i'll vault you on the way to some thoughts because i i must admit i was actually uh of the opinion that for a while antonio might have got it wrong by taking winks off because we seemed to cede control of the game there for a while however you know who was it who had the decisive moment in setting up you know, the final two goals, it was, it was PH, it was Pierre. But, uh, you know, how did you see the substitutions? Yeah, I mean, I did tend to agree with you there when Winks went off because he was, he, he was having a good game. And I think he was, as Milo said, controlling a lot from that back kind of quarterback position. Doherty came on as well for um, Royale, and I thought that was probably a good call as well. I know he said Royale had a a kind of maybe a muscular problem and was not completely fit, so that's why they dragged him off. But considering how much we dominated in that first half, Royale didn't really contribute a lot Mm -hmm. to that offensive play that we had. Uh, And then, of course, Bergwin came on on for Reggie, I think, didn't he? Uh, That's right, yeah, with Mora switching to fullback. Yeah, because I think Reggie had... um, Obviously, he's had his fitness issues as well, and he contributed a lot in the game as well. He really was trying to work that left-hand flank. Um, and Bergwin got given his chance, and he got given his chance in that advanced position, and he duly took it, which was like, fan- well, obviously, we all saw what happened. I mean, it was just fantastic for him, and I think sometimes a player can have those moments which really are back to one of our old favourites, a sliding door moment for him, maybe, yeah. Yeah, quick ticker question if I can here, an instant reaction. I mean, I'll go on record as saying that when Antonio suggested Bergwijn as, uh, you know, a potential second striker or, you know, backup striker, I, I didn't see it at all. And uh, obviously it shows you why I am not a Premier League manager or not even <laughs> not even a, a video game manager. I mean, because he proved me wrong. Did anyone else think the same as I had? Did you feel proven wrong or did you feel vindicated because you knew what he was saying all along? So when Conte talked about that, Conte talks a lot about nines and tens. Conte doesn't like playing Sun as the most advanced or as the number nine, because what he's looking for in a number nine is someone who can play with the back to goal, hold up the ball, bring others into play. And that's Sun and Mora can't do that. And what he was talking about with Bergwin is Bergwin is the only one out of those who's got, who's got the ability to do that. And I think we've seen him play there. We saw him play there a couple of times um, for parts of a game over Christmas and New Year, but it's not his natural game. But in terms of this, I mean, I think, you know, as a forward in a two, he looked very good here. He took his goals. I think it's really important that he got some goals because, you know, for, for a long time, uh, since he's joined us, he's, pl- he hasn't really played in the positions where he can get goals. You know, he was that kind of defensive winger for a while under Mourinho, wasn't he? And wherever he's been played, he's put in a shift and he's worked hard. He's always looked very willing, but he's been 
getting a hard time from our fans for not getting goals. And this is the first time for a while we've seen him in positions where he can score them. I'm really pleased he took them. I mean, I thought it was uh, really interesting. His position for both goals was 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 almost Defoe-like, actually, was uh, mm. was what I thought in terms of where he, where he was at the critical moments to take advantage of the situations unfolding. And uh, I have to say, I had not seen that potential in him. But again, I reiterate, that's why Antonio is a great coach and I'm a good waffler. So <laughs> that's a, was this Conte's villa moment, chaps? James, why don't you think of it? when we say villa moment, let me just refresh for anyone listening. Uh, you know, Harry Kane's uh, free kick that bounced off someone and ended up saving Poch from a potential uh, early axe all those years ago. Not that Antonio's job has ever been uh, at risk. I'm not suggesting that at all, but I am suggesting that perhaps this was a fire starter for his Tottenham Hotspur. Do you think it would act like that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's the most memorable come from behind moment since Amsterdam, May 2019. And um, the reaction of the players with the fans, I mean, yeah, some people can accuse us of over-celebrating it, but it, 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 was, uh, it was a natural reaction to something that was basically a minor miracle. And we got what we deserved from the game, which I think is partly, you know, part of the whole the whole package. I mean, if we'd have come away with a draw, we'd have probably been happy, but then look back at things like the XG and being like, well, we should really have won that. And to win it showed incredible fight. And the way that, you know, Kane fought to get the ball off Schmeichel when we got the equaliser, I think illustrated mm. it pretty well. You know, we weren't accepting the draw. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is that our fan base has been, or certainly our online fan base has been very twitchy as January's gone on. Um, obviously, playing Chelsea three times in the month um, hasn't helped, and some of those results there hasn't helped. Yeah, our fan base is very twitchy. It's been getting a bit poisonous online, and I think it was lovely, actually, for, for the couple of days after the game where actually everyone was on the same page again and there wasn't that sniping and the constant negativity. I don't think you can underestimate that. You know, fans need need something to give them a bit of belief sometimes, and that 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 had been lacking. Sometimes some wins are just more than three points, and I think sometimes it can add an extra layer of uh, togetherness. You know, um, just a real kind of gelling of the team together to have those moments together and those experiences. Uh, along with the fans as well, and just a bit of belief from absolutely nowhere that we can really. Mm. We can achieve things even if it happens in the last 80 seconds of a game. And um, yeah, that could be massive, I think. Rogers was getting really salty, wasn't he, around this game? As I say beforehand, he'd said that we were basically playing the same as we had under Nuno, which is just a massive disrespect. And then he was um, saying afterwards that how, how disappointed they were about, about the result. And you're thinking, well, I know you've got to say that kind of stuff, but you were well beaten. Even, if, even when you were 2-1 up, you were second best. Yeah. Madison as well. Madison's post-match interview, he was ropeable. He he just didn't he just, That's a general he state of that's a general state of being with James Madison, I would protest. I'd say that there's generally He's always good value for an interview though, Madison. He really does wear his heart like on his sleeve kind of thing. Yeah, but I never saw it. I never saw the interview. But I should. No, I've never been a fan. Just and, uh, well, I mean, you know, as is. I mean, I've never been a fan, as 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 you all, all know. Uh, as for Brenton, I mean, uh, look, I mean, once again, I never trust someone whose head is so disproportionately large compared to the rest of their tiny, minuscule frame. So I uh, thought I'd get that digging. But uh, you know, keeping this sort of. Drop into colloquial football language. Come on, lads. Let's have it. Let's just talk us through that last two minutes. What did you do? How did you do it? James, you can go first. I was um, forcing my four-month-old daughter to watch it with me, and I was in one of those lows that you know, we're, we're well accustomed to as Tottenham fans with, with you know seemingly nothing left on the clock and, and, a, and, a, and a loss incoming. And then it's like, Oh, hold on. You know, we get the equaliser and then, you know, before you've even, there was just not enough time to really catch your breath before we'd scored the winner. And I think because I was watching it with a baby, I, you know, I wasn't a hundred percent engrossed in the game. I was like a little bit distracted and I was just like, what the hell has just happened? Sleepless bewilderment, sleep deprived bewilderment. Mm. We'll uh, term that as, is that about right? Beautiful. Beautiful. Excellent. Yeah. Ricky. Oh, I, I'd kind of reconciled myself with, um, the thought that, yeah, we've played well, but we've got nothing out of this game. I was trying to do that kind of like nice smoothing over, just thinking, yeah, we've played well, we've played well. That's a, that's a positive. <laughs> and then when Bowen got his first goal, I was like, yeah, I was caught up a lot. So, yes, like we've got something out of it. But then when we, when we scored the winner, um, 
All I can say is um, we're living in all the same part of the house at the moment, and like my daughter got to sleep about an hour before. <laughs> all like when Bergwin scored, all I can say, Mister Riggs said, "Can you please shut up?" Like that. And I was like, and all I said to her, I said, "No, I can't. I just can't." And that, and I was just like, really like going for it because they're pff, once, once you know, once in a decade games they are where you just. It's just unbelievable when you see his first goal and how much time is on the mm. clock to then think we've got enough time to score two goals here. It's just like unreal. Yeah. I was noisy. I'm dancing in ahead of Milo on this. I'm going to give Milo the final word here. I'm going to say that as the equaliser went in, I actually, I, I tend to, as uh, anyone can see, I have these dental floss picks that I tend to sort of pick away at my teeth and chew at and whatever. But I had furiously gnawing on one of those. When we equalised, I actually threw it hard at the coffee table and just said, fucking right you know like we deserved it i was angry that we were only going to get a point from a game that we dominated but it was sort of like that fuck you great we've equalized uh you know sort of enjoy and then when we scored i i I, it was i i was off my count i leapt off my sofa like a good a good five feet i leapt in the air and i was sprinting around the house the dog was going mental my wife came in and saw the replay and was like wow what's going on look at them celebrating like so I was like, and, I was like, and i was like that explosion of angry joy yeah. of like fuck yeah and i was i mean expletives flying out of my mouth my fist pumping i mean it was and and my adrenaline i felt it coursing through me like for, for an hour or two afterwards at least yeah. i couldn't calm down like you know i've had had the the the, the, the one of my pieces of one of my many pieces of merchandise on i'm like looking at the badge i'm like this is what it fucking means to support this club i was ecstatic and i was high for 72 hours off it it was so great so great i'm still sort of save us milo get in there and calm me down or don't go one further well the risk of getting typecast i put the kettle on did you (laughs) during during the game i i keep i keep notes to like act as a memoir for when we do this and i try to capture what i'm thinking during the game because i don't want to you know i want to try and remember what i was thinking then rather than necessarily what it turns into once you read what other people have said or you know talk to other people about it and it kind of changes your perspective on it so i try to capture what i'm thinking as the game goes on so as we're going into extra time, I started writing a note saying, you know, disappointing not to get the three points, you know, disappointing not to get any point, getting anything out of the game, but it shouldn't take away from the performance because it was a really strong performance. We played really well. We get the equaliser. So I go back and write over that saying, you know, well, disappointing not to get the three points, you know, a point away at Leicester isn't a bad result, but we've played really, really well. <laughs> and then just as pretty much as I'd finished doing that, um, we, we started in the winner. And, um, yeah, I stopped taking notes at that point and, uh, enjoyed the moment, but, um, <laughs> but I, 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 I didn't, I, I didn't throw any orthodontic equipment around or, um, or anything like that. Or annoy the missus. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I had the house to myself actually this week, so I could, I didn't, you oh, know, cool. I, I could take notes as noisily I'd as I wanted. I'd have had clothes off running around screaming in that case, I have to be honest. Well, that's, that's why I don't invite me. you around when I have the house to myself, Steph. <laughs> this is sadly true. You know me well. Can, yeah, can, can I just say, say when that, that second goal came so quick that when he rounded Smichael and it was heading towards the post and the corner, mm. I was so fucking willing it to go. It hit that yeah, post yeah, yeah. and then I thought, it's just got to be going in, it's got to be going in. And when I saw him trying to sweep his arms to keep it out, didn't he, I since Sionku, and I was just like, I thought, it's in, it's in, it's in, it's definitely in. I was going to say, did you Yuri Geller it in? It was going to go wide yeah, until it was your, yeah. your willpower that pulled it in. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. It, it was one of those goals that I wanted to watch two or three times just to make sure that it had actually gone in. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I have to say, it just for me, and I, I, I mean, and I, I come in on this and so never interrupt me, but when I see an away end, especially if I've, you know, if I'm part of an away end that goes off like that, that's just, that's what, that is actually maybe what I live for at this point on moments like that. And I got such a contact high watching it, and I just found myself watching all sorts of videos <laughs> of that away end just going absolutely caveman for 24 hours. It was just addictive viewing. The best bit was the um, film that was put up on Twitter from, from the home end of, mm. of the winning goal and the commentary from them where, where he's, fuck, fuck it, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Any any twat who films the game all the way through on their phone deserves what they get. 
I was actually, but I, I'm with you all the way. I was grateful for those twats that night, though, because I got to enjoy it from a perspective that really made me feel that I was closer to it than I was. People who go to a concert and then watch the whole thing through their phone, I just don't, I just don't get it. No, I agree. I agree. But, but I mean, we would, but you know, in, in honor of all the twats who filmed that final two minutes at, at the King Power <laughs> Stadium, I'd like to thank you because you gave me 48 hours of unbridled joy. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. It was... One thing about that, the, the winner, um, was it Hoybier who pulled Bergwin back in? He jumped into the crowd and he was pulled back yeah. in and he was on a yes. yellow. And it was just really, really, really smart thinking because he gets a second yellow for jumping yes. into the crowd there and then he misses today's game. So there was, yes. you know, we talked about uh, about Bergwin pulling the ball out of the net and him and Kane fighting Schmeichel off to get it back onto the um, onto the centre circle and taking the, you know, getting the game underway again really quickly. But that as well, there was just some really smart thinking and it, it's not always been a, a kind of, a signature of our team has it over the last few years that kind of sharp quick thinking and and being focused and we were really focused during that um that period of extra time i agree and i have to also say you know we must give john moss uh, credit here which is not something you'll hear very often because (laughs) technically i would think that somewhere in there stevie might very well have violated uh, a, 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 a a rule in his celebration uh, somewhere, somehow. And uh, he could have got a second yellow, I'm imagining, for going into the crowd or up to the crowd like he did. Perhaps Moss noted Pierre, you know, Pierre pulling him back. Uh, and and earlier on, uh, of course, you know, what gave us the extra minutes was the whole Sayonachu Bergwijn tiff in the box. And mm. that's another one. Look, he shoved him in the chest. I don't think there's any... Uh, t- hands on the chest is not hands in the face. It's a yellow card. But some referees... You never know. So I give John Moss a lot of credit there yeah. for, for, I mean, I would because... I thought he had a pretty good game on that benefit. hole, actually. No, I, s- I yes. said that in the chat. I thought John Moss had a really, really good game and you're not allowed to clip that and use it in the future at all, Milo. <laughs> right. It's the only time I've ever seen it. <laughs> Whilst we're giving credit to people who get who get tons of abuse, I thought Hoybier had a really, really good game and particularly an extra time. And you touched on it earlier on when you're talking about uh, Winks coming off. But mm. um, the... The, the challenge in the box at the beginning of extra time, you know, stopping a goal. Um, he had a, yeah. a, he played a pass in, had a hand in both of the injury time goals, but in intercepting the Tielemans loose pass and playing that ball up to Kane was just, just a superb bit of play. Great bit of play. And also the pass that he put in for the equalizer to, yeah. to Doherty cutting in was, was, was superb to yeah. spot that. Oh, no, it was a lovely, it was a lovely pass, a lovely pass, wasn't it? But I think just really alert. And again, very, very difficult when you're in the 90th odd minute of a game and, and it's been a pretty frantic end-to-end game to have kind of the fitness and uh, and the alertness to be, still be able to do that is a real positive. And it, maybe Arsenal did us a favour crying off last weekend and having a, a week between games might, might have been a contributing factor in that win. But yeah, Hoybier was really good. And I think he's definitely one of those ones who, who suits a midfield three. I think him, Winks mm. and Skip complement each other and... Mm. They compensate for each of their weaknesses as a three, and I think mm-hmm. when you when you take what any one of that out, you miss something that the others bring to each other. Yeah, I, th- I think I was saying before. I think the um, with them three in there, with the roles that Skip and Hoiberg play, are very physically demanding because they almost have a lane all the way from one length of the pitch to the other because they're asked to mm. get in the box in the attacking sense, but also you'll find them further back helping out in in our, in our box as well, and they have to patrol that whole kind of lane that they're in either side yeah. of Winks and as well as probably just spotting when like a wing back's gone too far forward and then shuffling across the net thing it's a really demanding role for them I mean before the game I saw quite a lot of criticism about not being enough creativity in the side Conte's system is kind of where that creativity comes from and you know particularly you know the wing backs and that you know it's one of the issues we had maybe in the first half but then being able to close down from the from the front break up play and be able to play balls forward and support the wing backs is really key in being able to get anything out of that system and I think you the other thing you hear quite a lot is you know we've never replaced Ericsson or something like that I'm not sure there's really a place for a player like that within this side within the way Conte wants us to play this is absolutely key and I think if you know there's if nothing else this game must surely prove to the people who still bang on about that that you know you have to start reframing what the definition of creativity is because 
in an Antonio Conte side, it is most certainly what we saw at the King Power Stadium. And mm-hmm. it was statistically proven with this, you know, astronomically huge XG. What, 27 shots we had? I think nine on target, seven mm-hmm. on target. Something, I mean, you know, it was a phenomenal attacking ten, performance. Ten on target. There you go. I'm, I'm, I'm undervaluing, uh, undervaluing. So, you know, it's just we also as a footballing public and specifically as a Spurs support base probably have to you know recalibrate our definition of creativity in this system and I completely agree I mean as much as I love Christian uh, and that's not the way we're playing right now and that's not where our creativity is coming though it's well well said and really important I think um yeah let's let's round this up because obviously we could spend all night talking about this one positive one negative uh Milo, I'll start with you. So my positive is that four of our 11 starters today were academy graduates. Sorry, today. Four of our 11 starters against Leicester were academy graduates. And my negative is conceding sloppy goals. Jaffet hasn't had a great month. He was to blame for at least one of the goals. And I think I think Sanchez was a bit slow on the second. So uh, great performance. We could have saved ourselves a lot of heartache if um, if our defence had been a bit tighter. James? Well, I think the positive has to be, uh, for me, you know, obviously Bergwin giving us a, a memory that will live forever. And um, the negative, maybe, and this is being extremely harsh, because like I said earlier, I think Kane had an excellent game, but we probably didn't need to leave it to the last minute. We had the sort of chances that we could have had this game wrapped up, you know, an hour in. That's being very harsh, but um, it's one of those games where it's pretty hard to be negative about anything. Ricky? Uh, my positive was um, just the way it ended and the player and fan interaction. Those, even the, even the kids there will remember that when they're in their 60s and whatever. You, those kind of games never leave you. Um, and my negative is basically Brendan's silly post-match interview. So he was rather silly, I thought. But that's not, you know, that's negative on a Leicester point, not necessarily towards us. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go with that. That that was certainly a negative, but he's a constant negative to me anyway, <laughs> Brendan Rodgers. I really is, and I've, I'm so delighted that we've never succumbed to having him as our manager. Fantastic, and long may that continue. Uh, I think the negative, I would say, in our performance is probably exactly what Milo said. I would go with that. And the positive is an expansion of what you said, Ricky, but for me, this was the first time in two long years, I have felt togetherness, unity, love, passion, all of it coursing through the communal Tottenham Hotspur vein. It's been a long time coming and feeling it. And it, in that sense, to go back to whether this was Conti's Villa moment, that's what I think the heart of that question was all about, because this is the moment that Antonio has He's brought everything together uh, uh, and it all came together for that night. And it was beautiful, beautiful to see, beautiful to see. Um, and, and yeah, that is my positive. So there we are. That was the week that was. <laughs> <laughs> and today was <laughs> the game that was. Uh, we played Chelsea for the third time uh, in a matter of, uh, well, it's got to be two weeks or so, right? Um, a 2-0 defeat. Let's just get right into it. Uh, and, you know, it's a basic question on the face of it. What did you think of the lineup? But I think it's a little more complicated than we might assume. I'm going to give you this question, Ricky, because you, of course, were at the bridge today. So, uh, you know, give us the view of, of, of the lineup, uh, receiving it as you would have en route or perhaps in the pub or at the ground. Give us give us your thoughts. Yeah, it was in the pub. I and mean, I did have a little bit of a chat with Milo about this on the WhatsApp group. But um, yeah, I mean, I think we probably, it looked like it was then going to be four at the back because I suppose we've had a bit of success with them in the previous games on that sense. But with a kind of four wing back, four full back options all on the pitch, in fact, and then we had two on the bench as well. I was a bit surprised that Sanchez played left centre back. That was mm. a bit like, well, haven't we learned that lesson? But I then actually had a thought that maybe that was because he was then not wanting to get the two people that maybe aren't so good on the ball next to each other. And that's why he played Dyer there on the right side of him, I think. And he thought, oh, I'll risk Sanchez at left back and I'll just take that risk because Davis is pretty comfortable and good on the mm. ball. And he's an experienced player kind of thing. That was my thinking, Ricky, because I, I, I spotted the same thing and was trying to think through. And the, the, the two obvious reasons I could think of was one, to help guide Jaffet through the game and... Mm calm him down and we you know we saw against say Palace earlier this season where Dyer not being on the pitch can negatively impact him yeah. he you know he needs he needs talking through games still I think the other thing I was thinking about was maybe for uh crossfield balls out to the left but we didn't really see that too much 
Um, no. But yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a strange choice. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really inspire... I mean, oh, it's really tough with these Chelsea games because it just almost has an inevitable feel about it. And the other thing I think is, is even if we play in a containing game, I think they're not the easiest team to beat if you're going to play the countering game because Rudiger and Silva and that don't really give you any kind of, you know, they don't take no prisoners and they're quite happy just to foul if it means to snuff something out. And even, uh, who's the right back? As, 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 help me out. Aspilicueta, aka, aka massive wanker. Okay. If I can just get that on, uh, on air as, uh, as unedifying as that is for the game is about glory. Let's just call him what he is. Yeah. I'll just refer to him as that then in the future. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah. So it's just, um, AMW for mm. you can abbreviate too. So as we can keep some semblance of class in our podcast. So it was just, oh, I don't know. It was a bit, I thought in the first, because in the first moments, I think Sanchez then was trying reinforcing my kind of thoughts of him playing at left centre back because he got caught out down the left, didn't he? And then mm. uh, Lukaku swept it over the bar, didn't he? With quite a reasonably good chance. Um, luckily, Lukaku didn't really play that well again. He seems to have some problems there. But the inevitable stuff then just happened. I mean, uh, if anyone else wants to come in when it comes to the lead up to the Kane goal, because that was obviously a massive moment. We, we touched on earlier how well it sort of balanced itself out in central midfield with Hoiberg, Winks and Skip. And then I think it was kind of unlucky for Skip to get dropped for this game. It showed it showed with our balance. And obviously we're talking about a different beast in Chelsea. But yeah, I think as soon as I saw the line-up, I was like, that doesn't look balanced to me. And, um, you know, the first half we held in there, but um didn't take long for the wheels to come off. Um, Skip was carrying a knock, as was Reggie, Royal, Lucas. And obviously we know that Son and Romero were still out injured. So we had... Six players who would pretty much guarantee to start under Conte in his first choice 11 all out today. So I think we've got to bear that in mind. No, it's a very important point, especially as we're not Mikel Arteta who will complain about the slightest injury and try and get a postponement. We were a barrow on a lateral flow test away from getting the game cancelled, weren't we, really? With, um, <laughs> yeah, quite, um, exactly. Yeah. I thought, <laughs> uh, yeah, as Ricky was saying about um, Sanchez at left centre-back, yeah, I thought he did okay. We didn't see the massive errors that we've seen or costly errors we've seen from him in that position before. But Mount particularly was having a lot of joy in between him and Davis. Um, and they were definitely targeting that area. In terms of the first half, I mean, I think, you know, obviously Conte went into this game trying to, um, trying to contain them. And the 4-4-2 that we played was how we played most of the second leg against Chelsea in the League Cup and with a fair, a fair degree of success. So I, I think it's understandable that he he deployed the same approach again and yeah really the first half you know it was a, it was a dodgy ref decision away from pretty much having the perfect first half in terms of those tactics which was you know soak up the pressure and hit them on the break you know we should have gone in at half time one nil up and you know i think you'd say yeah conte's called that right you know going into the second half i think we weren't very alert as we came out to the second half for the, for their first goal both Doherty and Jaffet should have done better closing down Hudson Odoi. And then Hudson Odoi crosses. And Zayic, I mean, it's a fantastic goal. Uh, you know, once he gets that shot away, no one's stopping it. But Cessnion and Davis are too slow to close him down. I mean, that is his trademark, isn't it? That is Zayic's trademark goal, basically. You know what I mean? It's beautiful. So, but I mean, we should know that's his trademark goal and we yeah, should yeah, maybe... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, be alert to it. Yeah, I think also what that calls out is, and I'll throw this as a general comment on the game. I think is that, you know the devil in these games is in the details, and it's it's very small margins. It's a it's a slightly misplaced pass. It's a slightly under hit pass. It's it's split second stuff. And and in the defensive sense, there was a split second moment. I mean, you, you you've got to be awake and you've got mm-hmm. to be alert because we know that that player can do that. So it's a detail. And that's obviously where Chelsea are, you know, they're at a different level to us right now. So, you know, they they don't make those mistakes. Um, I, I do want to draw us back to one incident, though, in the first half, and it's the inevitable, it's the disallowed goal, and, and get get everyone's take on that. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll kick it off by saying I think the referee's uh, been, been conned there. I think he's been done completely by an extremely clever and wily pro. Um, and I have to say, I think if it was the other way around, uh, Kane would probably get booked for diving. Thoughts, anyone? So soft. I mean, I think you're you're right to explain it that way. I mean, if it was the other way around, then you'd get booked for diving. It, his arm was fully outstretched, so he just didn't have any leverage to really push him over. It was minimal ha- minimal hand pressing, I'd say, that sent him down, and it worked out well for them. Yeah, I mean, you've got to bear in mind the ref's angle. The, the ref is you know down the pitch. 
and there's contact between the two of them. He's not he's not very easy to judge um, the amount of contact or the force from that that position. It's undoubtedly the wrong de- the wrong decision, and you know we, it was a good goal. Uh, I think you're right. I think it, I think Thiago knew that he was out of position. He knew he couldn't get a, a challenge in, felt the touch, and went down. Yeah, I mean that's a lot in the stands. I mean I was up at here, so I did have a reasonably all right view of it, but none of us really knew what the goal had been disallowed for because I think, like we were saying earlier, Bergwin had. Um... He'd gone down for some reason, and we thought something had maybe gone on there. We never for once thought that maybe Kane's committed a foul, and that's why Lee's... Because we looked at the linesman and realised that he hadn't flagged for offside, and it wasn't until mm. half-time when we were underneath, and they have the sky screens on there that um, uh, you could see what was going on. But I think it was a bit of the old wire, you know, the old the old pro in uh, silver mm-hmm. that just felt that touch in the back and thought, um, I can go over and maybe get a free kick, so... Disappointing though, because I think you know a bit like the um, what we were talking about the other week with the Foster catch at Southampton, just load of old nonsense. Really, I think that was a goal as well. <laughs> it does feel, and I'm sure that every supporter says this about their club. And I'm about to execute one of the great cliches of football supporter dumb, if you will. But it does feel we've been in the receiving end of a couple more of these marginal slash outright poor decisions then it's fair. And I'll mitigate that against myself by now asking you if, did we get away with one with Doherty in the first half? Could that have been a red card? To me, it was never more than a yellow, but when you look at it in slow motion, wasn't pretty, was it? So, I mean, you know, should I, should I pipe down with my whinging here and say, well, we got away with one in this game as well? It wasn't a reckless challenge, was it? So um, I think you're right. I don't think it's a red. It was certainly clumsy, and it could it could have done uh, Sarah a lot of damage. Uh, could have really hurt him. Uh, yeah, it looked it looked pretty nasty. In terms of are we on the receiving end of more of these? I, I think we just watch our own club differently to we do other clubs. And yeah. I think I think sure. fans of every club um, probably feel hard done by by decisions. It's just that you know you've got that emotional attachment to your own, and you watch games that your 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 side's involved in more closely. Yeah, let me ask you all this. Oh, sorry, Ricky, were you going to say something on that? No, I wasn't. I didn't even know what I didn't even know what you were talking about. To be honest, <laughs> you don't see everything at the game or know what's going on. Yeah, so just, you were off at the yeah. bar at that point, were you? <laughs> no, 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 of course yeah. not. I was trying off. to stay trying to stay alive in the upper tier. Yeah, were I was. You, from yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> I was distracted at that point. Yeah, distracted. Yeah, <laughs> discussing indeed. today's um, wordle with some Chelsea fans over the between the stewards. <laughs> Yeah, it's four no. letters, one yeah. syllable. I'm sure it didn't get much further than that, did it? No. <laughs> Possibly two, but uh, syllables, that is. Um, let me ask you all this. I felt that Antonio's post-match conference was actually pretty much exactly what the game was about. I thought it was honest. I thought it was uh, very, very clear. I thought it was a really good appraisal, uh, essentially saying that the two teams, there's still a gap. He was satisfied with the performance, happy with the application. But, you know, as we just were touching on a few minutes ago, the devil is in the details and we need upgrades to get to that next level uh, if we're going to push for titles and so on and so forth. Top four is a different thing. We're talking about titles when we're talking about going up a level. Would you agree with that comment? I think to get an, an away win at somewhere like Stamford Bridge, we're just going to need all all the planets to align for us. We're going to need things like the Kane decision to go our way, you know, injuries to be, you know, in our favour. And it it happens so infrequently that you, you're right, Jay. It almost feels inevitable. You know, there's arguments about whether or not our mindset's good enough to actually go and get the win. But I think we do need that little bit of luck that we didn't get with the Kane Silver instant. And then maybe if we're 1-0 up, we can, you know, not shut up shop, but have something to sort of fight for a little bit more than what we were playing for, you know? But, But let me frame the question a little more clearly then. Do you think that what Antonio is saying, which is essentially played a good game plan, looked really good in it, lacking in a couple of those key details, very competitive you know do we agree that that is the story of today's game milo why don't you why don't you come in on that yeah i do i mean i think as you've said before ricky i think conte's a pretty straight hitter you don't really get um much flannel off him he he, he, he says it as he sees it and that everyone at the moment again seems to be trying to look for hidden meaning in what he was saying if he's pissed off he'll come out and say he's pissed off he's not going to hide it he's not going to give innuendos about you know about you know whether 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 he's getting backed by the board or anything like that. If he doesn't feel he's getting backed by the board, he's going to come out and say it. And you know, I think as you said, Steph, in terms of you know, for our notes here for the summary of the game, we could pretty much just copy and paste what Conte says in the post-match press conference because I think he he calls it pretty much exactly right. Yeah, I think from that point of view, I really really like him. He's a breath of fresh air. 
Um, you don't really get any excuses. You don't really get um, any spin. It's just as he sees it. And yeah, he's right. He's right. We, you know, we're short in a few key areas. But, you know, Chelsea's bench cost more than our, our first 11 today. So what do you expect? You know, that's the difference. I mean, yeah, as Milo said earlier, we, we've got players to come in already that are injured. Uh, whether we'd then have the squad, squad depth beyond that, I'm not quite sure. And as you said, Steph, I think sometimes the finer details do require better players to deliver that. And you do, you know, you, you fall short sometimes because of that. Um, I mean, Conte's interview is pretty much, I mean, we, as they as their fans jokingly say, can we play you every week? And they, they have been playing us every week, haven't they? But, um, and he said pretty much the same thing every time that there's a gap there between us and a gulf there between us. It's slightly annoying that it seems that we do seem to have a slight mental block with Chelsea because we tend to sort of be able to run City or Liverpool close sometimes and have good games against them. So that's slightly annoying. But, um, uh, yeah. But I think the weeks aren't ticking, you know, the weeks are ticking by, but it's still it's still early days for Conte, really, for mm-hmm. what were you, four months, maybe? Four, no, four it was November, wasn't it? He came in, so three. Yeah. Absolutely. And let, let's close out on, on, on that and let's go one positive, one negative. Uh, James, I'll start with you. I thought Bergwin uh, had had fairly good game. Maybe it's the bounce from the, the two goals at Leicester. The negative, as we've touched on, I think it's just the inevitability of games at Stamford Bridge. It's very hard to even imagine us winning a game there. Ricky? Oh, I don't know about positive. What would be the positive today? Um, I haven't got one, really. I'll do a negative if you want, which is yeah. uh, no real acknowledgement of the message of um, no homophobic chanting from our fans. Oh, that, was, that was in voice again uh, today. So Unfortunate to hear that. But yeah, I'm not sure about positive, really. We uh, Positive is we haven't got to play Chelsea again for the rest of the season. <laughs> Unless we play them in the cup final, of course. But no. I like that. There's an optimism there. Unless we play them in the cup final. Notice that Ricky said cup final, meaning that we will get to a final in 2022. Ricky, I like that positive attitude. Milo, see if you can top it. Uh, my positive is um, it was great to have Dyer back. We've really missed him. And my negative is I think we were a bit too passive, particularly in the second half. We just lack that little bit of cutting edge, that physicality on the you know through the team. And when you know when you look at that difference with Chelsea, you know apart from the quality of their players, they were just always really up for it. You know I think we talked about Rudiger didn't we the other week about just how good he is and and what a difference he makes. And they've got quite a few players like that, and we haven't got enough. So I'm going to go uh, back to front here. I'm going to say that the negative is that you know we we. We just aren't able right now still against the very top teams, it seems, to execute um, at, at, you know, what's needed at the key moments. The positive for me today is that I can really see with this manager how we're going to play, how we are playing, the shape. It feels like the team are completely bought into that. And that suggests to me that providing he gets backed, you know, we don't have very far to go to be challenging for titles because he's already put systems and ways of thinking mentality in place that I would have told you in November were going to be next to impossible. And I did see that still today. I still felt we played with, with good attitude, good spirit. We were really going forward pretty much till the, till the bitter end. Um, so, you know, that, that would be my positive. Um, so again, it was a two nil defeat to them. Uh, and we will move into the, uh, the winter break, hopefully to get, uh, you know, some of our players fit and ready to, to execute and maybe get some new faces in to help that as well. So we will move on from that to celebrate our earlier mention of the, the Mellors Pushkas Award by, you know, each getting into, you know, a beautiful goal that we've seen in the glorious Tottenham Hotspur shirt. Could you be the most beautiful goal in the world? We are talking about the choices that we are about to make. We're not going to get into absolute perlers like Ricky Villas against Man City or Gazza's uh, freak against the Goons in 91. I mean, those are uh, in memoriam classics. Uh, we're going for deep cuts, right? And so I think that we should start with you, Ricky, hey. and your choice of Glenn Hoddle's superb piece of skill against Oxford on the 25th of April, 1987. Yeah, we are going back for this one, but this is back when I first, this was my first season ever at the lane going regularly. And we had a great team then with Pleaty's team. And, and I was lucky enough because all the time before this, 
like Hoddle, Waddle, all the Perrimans, all that, all people that I saw on the telly, and they were your heroes. So I could go to the lane and I could actually see them in the flesh, which obviously is a whole different beast altogether. And this was Hoddle's, this is against Oxford, and this was in April the 25th, 1987. This was Hoddle's um, final goal for Tottenham. And basically, I even remember this to this day. The moment he scored it, I was just taken over in awe of thinking... All the God references, all the greatness references of Hoddle are just summed up in that goal. He was like, if everyone sees this on the on the YouTube clip that we'll put the um, link for, it just, he kind of, he parts the yellow Oxford defence sea, just like Moses, basically. <laughs> he cruises through and he puts the keeper on his bum and just slots it home. And with that typical Glenn Hoddle thing, just put his arms up, blew the old kiss to the crowd and just thought, yep. That's what I am. That is my final gift to you. And um, it was just a, a kind of cheer and a round of applause in awe of what he'd just done. And I think Brian, the funny thing on the commentary was, is the great Brian Moore done it. And when he went on the keeper, he goes, and any of us could have done that last bit. And basically what he was saying was, was that none of us could have done the first bits. Mm. And um, it was a great, a great memory for me. And it was a way for him to sign off. It was almost like one of those, you know, a script thing in some kind of corny Hollywood film where, you know, the hero of the team, the legend of the team just scores a absolutely blissful goal like that. It's a great goal to watch. No one gets close to him, do they? Just no. barely. There's not even a challenge. I think it's a rubbish choice, Ricky. There's not a, not a challenge. Not a tackle goes in on him. He just walks through them. <clears throat> well, that's what I'm saying. It looks like one of those film things where you've got like actors yeah. just coming in and doing really lame tackles and things like that. <laughs> you just kind of as though he had some kind of force field around him and he just cruised through. And then yeah. the keeper just will you know really poor effort. I don't think it was. It was all just class of the hodl. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was always a light year ahead. In his in in his movement and how he saw the game, his map of the game, his grace, his incredible skill, and you're so right. It was just all encapsulated in that. And you know, I nearly went golden oldie with uh, the goal. I, I was at Vicarage Road for the one in in 1983, yeah. and it was just a stunner. I mean, uh, you know, there's so many great goals that Glenn Hoddle scored, but my word, Ricky, you have picked. Uh, one of the most beautiful goals he ever scored indeed and it would be a Pushkas award it would actually probably win it twice in a row just because there wouldn't be a goal better than it the following year right so <laughs> yeah. what a what a selection to kick us off of course we'll go to Milo next well not of course we'll go to Milo next what I meant to say was of course Milo's choice for a beautiful goal is a footballer who I believe Milo would have been were he a professional footballer I believe Milo would have aspired to be Dimitar Berbatov <laughs> with all his insouciant uh, Bulgarian uh, by way of France. The sort of, uh, he wasn't French, but he looked like it when he used to have that cigarette in his fingers. Anyway, I waffle too much. Berbatov <laughs> versus Besiktas, 19th of October, 2006. Take it away, Milo. So, yeah, Berbatov uh, versus Besiktas. So Berbatov had joined us this summer. Um, we'd had a bit of a slow start to that season and had been struggling to score goals. Um, so away at Besiktas, not an easy place to go, normally hostile atmosphere. Um, and they were man managed by um, ex-Fulham manager Jean Tiguana uh, that season. So in the game, uh, Hossam Ghali had scored on 32 minutes to put us 1-0 up, who was set up by Berbatov. And then the goal I'm talking about, actually, I think there's a touch of the hoddles about it in terms of how he... Um, in terms of his uh, how he played, there was a header out of defence. Uh, Robbie Keane does a lovely volley pass through to to Berbatov. Um, he runs to the right of the box before cutting inside and uh, lands the defender on his ass. Uh, rounds him. The keeper rushes out and Berbatov uh, you know, to close Berbatov down. Berbatov rounds him and then just slots it coolly home into the corner. And yeah, it's very very early in his Spurs career, but it's uh, a very very typical uh, Berbatov goal. And um, you're right, Steph. I would I would dearly love to be uh, a player as cool and uh, and calm as Berbatov. But um, truth is that I was never better than a willing trier. I mean, wouldn't we all? What what a footballer! And uh, you know, I mean, just uh, again another fantastic choice. And in fairness, you probably could have chosen many uh, Berber goals. He, he scored several. Pushkas uh, caliber contenders but uh, yeah this is a lovely choice and what I like about this choice is it's actually one that uh, I had uh, forgotten about until I went back and looked at it you know in the YouTube clip that will be going up that our uh, listeners can also view and you will see it is an absolute candidate for that wonderful award 
most likely would have got it. Well, James, Kane versus Arsenal, 5th of March, 2016. Tell the story. So the goal, you know, obviously began with a, an amazing bit of uh, work by Delhi to retrieve it before it went out for a, uh, I'm assuming, goal kick. He backheeled it um, and it didn't look like a threatening position. The score is one all at this moment. Kane didn't need to take much much time on the ball for before basically sending a missile into... Uh, I always, I'm always really bad with Arsenal's non-memorable keepers. Was this Ospina, I think, maybe, filling in for the injured check? And yeah, he sent it off to the right into the top right-hand corner from an angle where he had no right to score. I remember watching it in quite a crowded bar, um, probably about three o'clock in the morning, Melbourne time, and it and it went off. Kane's celebration saw him run across the box, rip off the mask and go feet first into the corner flag. And um, I think Kane's on record as saying that's his favourite Tottenham goal. Oh, I mean, it was an absolutely sensational, I mean, it was a sensational strike to, mm. you know, use the old cliche, but my word, cliches are there to be used when appropriate, right? And this, what a, what a strike. I mean, as you say, I think, you know, I challenge people to look at the angle again from which he shot. I mean, you say it was, you know, not, I mean, I think you're being very generous and you say it wasn't really a threatening position. I mean, there's absolutely nobody has any right to think that a, a, a shot is going to come from there, let alone a goal, let alone with the speed and the trajectory and the dip and the whip and all that. I mean, just unbelievable, unbelievable. And yes, I'm giving that a pushkus right now. And I know that, every, I know that, I know there's more to be said about this goal. I was actually in the West End for this. <laughs> Probably the only time I've ever been in there. Um, but at the top tier, only three rows from the back, but down that end. And as you say, Delhi done really well chasing that ball into the corner. And when he backhilled it, it was almost like Kane running at the angle of the penalty box was almost straight behind me. And as soon as he lashed it, it was just... And as you say, I meant for them to go Matt crazy in the packs than they even did in the West End, which is, you know, a lot to be said for the West End. You know, plot, plot, polite applause maybe usually. But yeah, everyone was rocking it, lifted the roof off the place. It was good. So Ricky was so shocked he dropped, dropped his prawn sandwich. <laughs> I was about <laughs> to say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. You, t- you talk about the angle. It was um, not a dissimilar angle to Winx's free kick the other week where he kind of lofted it in and so but the difference is that Kane was doing it with the ball ball on the move rather than you know rather yeah. than static yeah. and there's no questions about whether or not Kane intended to do it I mean Winks had to justify his uh, uh, his effort a bit didn't he now, Harry Winks has just broken out with the biggest smile he's ever had in his Tottenham Hotspur career because we've just put that goal of his in the same company as Harry Kane's versus Arsenal, albeit to make the point that Harry Kane's was intentional and at great speed. I mean, obviously, Winks's goal last season in, in Europe is the one that should have been in this list. I think we've all been amiss, not including <laughs> including well, that. At, at this point, we're, 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 we've been uh, remiss in not uh, naming Harry Winks twice. He could have had a double push because himself, it appears. They should just rename the award the Winks. <laughs> the Winks. <laughs> the Who's Winx the biggest award. winker? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So somewhere in there, Harry, you should be uh, honoured that your, um, that your, you know, commensurate effort against Arsenal on the 5th of March 2016 has been measured against the great Harry Winks. Um, I am going to uh, plump for the 29th of October 2008 at the Death Star, David Bentley's, quite frankly, astonishing goal against Almunia and the Arsenal, um, made all the more astonishing for the fact that, of course, Bentley did uh, apply his trade uh, for those uh, filthy goons at one point. And even more astonishing for the fact that you can probably count on one hand how many brilliant pieces of skill David Bentley showed for us, bless him. I, I have to include this, if, if only as well, because I was there. So I enjoyed witnessing this and the sheer shock of seeing him take that ball down the way he did. And it was a beautiful touch. I mean, it's a great touch, great first touch he has as that ball drops into him. Uh, and the awareness, he's definitely looking for that. I Dare I say the insurgence to try it from 40 yards? I mean, that was a proper 40 yards. That wasn't just like someone saying 40 yards, it was 30, 30. That was a good 40 yards. And, 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 you know, I mean, the circumstances of that goal opening the scoring and just what an outrageous, rude piece of skill and, and a beautiful goal. And I would, I would have to say probably the highlight of David Bentley's Tottenham career, which in <laughs> fairness would not be too hard to find. I grant you that. But if you're going to have a highlight and it's, you know, 
it's not a bad one to have, is it? I think it's a Pushkas goal all the way. So yeah, and I mean, look, what a, what a what a game that was. But that's for another time. Yeah, another game you don't want to leave early, definitely. Hmm. Well, that was the night that my mates told me that, that we should leave early because they didn't want to have to quite unquote suffer the gloating goons. And me, six pints in, fresh off a flight, I may point out, and having had tea with Slayer's Tom Araya earlier in the <laughs> afternoon and trying to explain to him the significance of the North London derby, I was absolutely determined not to leave till the end, if only for my own stubborn pride. Thank goodness for stubborn yeah. pride, eh? <laughs> well... There we are. Thank you very much, chaps. I think we've uh, sorted out uh, the Pushkas Award for the next uh, five or six seasons. They can just go retroactive. There isn't going to be a goal better than any of those. Forget about that Zieg one earlier today. That's not hold a candle to any of these. Um, You know, look, we head into our winter break now. Our next game is the FA Cup match against Brighton on February 5th. And chaps, we'll be back next week to discuss Spurs in the noughties. That's part two of us looking at us through the decades Uh, we did spurs in the 90s back in november it was an absolute blast so we're really looking forward to this one gentlemen thank you very much a lot of fun that thank you thank you steph you can find us on twitter and instagram so give us a follow and say hello if you like the pod please tell your friends and leave us a glowing review on the itunes or spotify or anywhere that you can leave glowing reviews for podcasts as always thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week